the Bucks got all the right steps in Charleston. They now can try their slipper and see if it fits at the big ball. These Tennessee State Buccaneers, they're dancing, boys and girls. Perea lays it up. 1.4. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucks win. Nook is spotting for three. The place is going to erupt. Oh, Deuce Bellow. He's going to make Sports Center with an incredible. Jarvis Jones, the game winner, got it. Ball game. East Tennessee State's going to leave on another. They got him. If he catches it, it's over. Ball game. Touchdown, Jawan Stinson. 25 yards. J.J. German for the win. He got it. J.J. German and the Bucks have shocked the Bulldogs. And the sidekick. What's your name, man? I told you. It doesn't matter what your name is. You're handsome. You have the perfect amount of scruff. And you still have no talent. It's Sandos in the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Oh, good Monday. Jay Sandos, Mike Gallagher, an exciting weekend that was in ETSU athletics. A couple of big wins for some programs. ETSU men's and women's basketball, big W's on the road. Uh, we won't talk about it, but volleyball did pick up uh, two straight wins. They're rocking and rolling. And then, of course, we will talk ETSU football uh, as we get along on this program. So we will hear, I believe, we got all three? No, we two. have Coach Sanders and we have Coach Forbes. All right, but we oh, will we talk. lots on women's basketball, though. We, lots after that great win. You were there. Yeah, it was oh, yeah. Fantastic, oh, it looked like. It, there, were, there was a lot going against the team before the game even started, and I'll talk about, which was kind of kind of interesting, uh, just the, the setup there. And, and uh, this will not be a bash liberty at all, just kind of the way it is. So, uh, But the exciting end of the women's game. If you haven't seen it yet, we've got it out there on all of our social media accounts. Obviously, Men's basketball, Patrick Good did what a lot of people thought he would do. Now healthy. We'll see if that continues for him. ETSU football, yet another ETSU football game. I don't know how else to word that. Well, before we get to that, it is Veterans Day. I don't want to bury the lead here. You know I don't like to give you much credit at all for anything. That's fair. On this day of all days, I do think it's uh, very fitting and very apropos to must want to go out of my way too because without people like you who have been selfless with your lives – Truly, I mean, it's not an exaggeration, but it's very dangerous to go into combat. It's very dangerous to enlist in any of the branches of the military. And on Veterans Day 2019, as we did last year, I believe, as well, I want to make sure that you know that I'm very thankful for your service. I think I can speak for everyone around the state of Tennessee and around the country. We're very thankful for what you did and gave to this country, gave to us individually. And without people like you, cowards like me would have to go over, and I wouldn't make a very good soldier. I know that. So thank you for what you did for this country when you did enlist and and served your time because uh, it makes this country a better place, and you're one of the people that does. Well, I appreciate that. And uh, my family, long history in the military. I was one of many generations, third generations on my mom's side. My dad served as well, as long as many cousins and uncles and everything. So uh, very proud family. It's a very meaningful day to me uh, to be a part of that, and uh, also very special to ETSU because I was a what they call full time part time at ETSU at the time, and my contract ran up with ETSU while I was over there. And ETSU, as a full time part time, was not obligated to renew my contract while I was over there, but they did, and that was a choice they made. And they've always been ETSU goes out of its way to be fr- uh, veteran friendly it is recognized as a veteran friendly university and what they do for the veterans i stand on the veterans committee there'll be an announcement uh today at the press conference we're recording as we normally do monday morning so there's a couple of things uh one of the things i've been working on uh is going to happen and we'll talk about that maybe just a touch on wednesday uh one thing didn't which was a surprise so there's two things we're going to announce uh, to go along with our heroes day on november 16th just happened that the it falls on veterans day and we're going to be able to announce that but very special meaningful and again showing you that not just uh, athletics but president uh, brian nolan everybody's kind of all on board with that and matter of fact uh, you know when they were going to lose their rotc program dr nolan personally went to, to state legislator and, and then got some help from um and that was probably four or five years ago that they were going to take it away and and it's still clearly here so uh it means a lot to this area this is still a very proud area the um, tri-cities region and what it means so a big day for all those if you know a veteran or knew anybody it's it's always important just a just a quick hey or text i've already 
been inundated with it. For me, it's everybody I served with for the most part. Mm. We, we're up at That's got to be kind of cool to oh, be able to reconnect with e- them. Even if you don't. Matter of fact, it started last night, and it was a, a, a female soldier. And so she had reached out to a guy uh, who actually came and visited me last year when we played Georgia State and just talked about the relationship that she's had with him and just the year of knowing him and all the advice he was able to give her and, and that being a soldier didn't stop when we left Iraq, it continued to go. Uh, the one sad thing is, you know, we are very proud. We, we left uh, 163 people, came back with them all. A lot, uh, I don't want to say a lot, but more than I care to, uh, not with us today. So it's mm-hmm. always a, and that's more, I know, Memorial Day than Veterans Day, but still very sad because Veterans Day reminds me of being over there with those guys right. and gals and, and some of them not here today. So uh, it's, it's a good day. It's great. I would try to go eat uh, a free meal today, but uh, the long lines and <laughs> everything. But I will say this, there are a lot of veterans out there that need that free meal. And, and I hate to say it, and I go over the VA a lot just with some other things and, and kind of a liaison for the athletic department. I give tickets and everything that, that fans buy. There are uh, fans that buy tickets that go directly to veterans, and if people didn't really know what happens, that I go over there and, and, and work with some of their PR folks and make sure that it gets in the right hands. I go to reserve units. Um, we go to other uh, VFWs, other things that's going on. So we do get those tickets out. There are veterans that do sit in those seats that, that people buy. Uh, but there are also a lot of veterans that, that do that because they are still struggling, right? They're, right. they're homeless. They don't have trouble getting a job, suffer from uh, way severe PTSD and other things that are going on. And there's also veterans that don't go. So my one public service announcement is if you are struggling, you know, you took care of your country. It's time for your country to take care of you. 100%. Please go to the VA. I, I did it a long time, suffered sleep for two, three years of not being able to do it, slept in the bathtub for a while. I could tell you that story on another day, but uh, really struggled with sleep. Finally took the advice, went over there, got some help, and now been able to lead a, a pretty good life because of that. So uh, if you're struggling, you're a veteran, you know somebody's out there struggling, please encourage them to get help sometimes. You know, we're we're all alphas, especially as a soldier. You don't want to admit it. I was in that boat, too, so I know that. Um, I'm not saying you have to get real pushy, but do try to get them to get help. So uh, today, Veterans Day, hope everybody enjoys it. Hope everybody reaches out to somebody because I'm sure somebody was affected uh, by this, whether it's your family or somebody else you know, a coworker, somebody you go to church, anything with, a former classmate, something like the that. The least so. we can do as people that did not serve to be able to try and help in any way we can as soldiers have helped all of us live the life we do today. And and I'll say this, uh, there were many times that uh, when I was in uniform and would have to fly that people bought lunch, right, picked up checks, did all that, and and even if it's something simple like that, somebody bought me a, a – told me they could – they were out of uh, – I can't remember, just was struggling with money mm-hmm. and brought me a bag of chips because they thought that uh, I needed that. And they didn't have money. So if that tells you how people sometimes feel about veterans – I felt bad because I was gangfully employed at that time and could have afforded the bag of chips, but I appreciated the gesture that went on to that. So that being said, we appreciate that. This is an ETSU podcast, so we'll jump uh, right into – the first subject, which I think, uh, as it is, we're starting to transition. Still football, and just another. It's just a, a God, the same thing. What's Groundhog Day? Right? It feels like Groundhog Day. Wake up, and the same thing happens over and over. Every and Monday, over we're and sitting over, here yeah. scratching our head, like God, two, three plays here, one play there, just uh, an opportunity. And it, it it was kind of at one point, I thought going to go the Bucks way for the simple reason that. Western missed yet another field goal to win the game. It's incredible. I mean, the fact that it goes to overtime again, the fact that there's the missed field goal, I I think you heard me on the men's basketball broadcast just kind of scratching my head on air with everyone that was listening that maybe had heard both the football and the men's basketball broadcast. We're now 1-6 in one-score games after being 6-1 last year. I mean, things have truly and completely come full circle, and it's not something that I care to think about too much because the good full circle of it was last year. The fact that it actually has now come 360 degrees is painful. I mean, it's painful every week. And I did not envision this game going like this, at least in terms of the scoring. I, I envisioned it a lot more like the 45-43 tight game. Yeah, I totally but, agree. I thought it was going to – and it started off a little bit moving that it could go that way. It just never – and the second half never materialized at all. Well, I tell you what I did think I saw coming, and you and me talked about it on Friday here in the show – if ETSU is going to have success offensively, probably was going to be on the ground because Western Carolina, very young up front, have dealt with injuries, guys kind of having to move around and step up into spots they weren't expected to coming into the season. 36 carries, 166 yards, and two touchdowns 
for Quay Holmes. I mean, a man-sized performance. What an animal. And you know he's capable of it. We haven't been able to see it in this volume. But the fact that we finally got to, at least that's one big positive out of the game. I, I, I've i been here long enough uh, that you get to call records, right? Sort of like the Patrick Gilly guy, the previous couple record holders before him. So I don't know if that means been lucky, old, whatever, as far as like three-point shooting. So I didn't think anybody would get, especially the way that uh, Coach Torbush, Michael Kane did it, the way Randy Sanders with the two backs, but with Jacob Sailors being out and not maybe feeling as confident uh, with the playbook either with McGew back there. That's not really his game, to be honest. And then DJ Twitty would have been there maybe thinking, hey, maybe this is not a good spot to work him in there. They just said, all right, how much can you handle Quay Holmes? 36 carries, 166. He's one off the school record that's happened three times. I called two of them, which was Gavin Varner, in which, again, they only had about 60 guys on the roster instead of 110 and all the other things. So just out of pure numbers, he had to carry the load. And he had 37 carries twice. Brandon Walker, who's in the Hall of Fame and got a chance to – and I I was in school when he played and and worked for the network then. Remember the game at Georgia Southern where he talked about, like, hey, nobody even thought I was good enough to play. I had this chip on my shoulder. And then I ended up setting the school record and held it for a long time by himself. Uh, In 96, I think it was, he had the uh, 37 carries. So I was hoping – for Clay Holmes, knowing what this team has gone through, knowing what he has done and just come to work every single day, not complain, not had his head down, could have packed it in, the year's not gone his way, to get at least one more carry for the tie or two to have the overall. So I was a little disappointed in that. Of course, the overtime drop, they could have picked up at least a first down, probably would have tied, if not more. So I do feel bad that Holmes didn't get that. I'm sure he doesn't care, but he gave you everything he had. 36 carries, 166 yards, two touchdowns. He would have had some breaks in there where maybe he could have been even better because he could have been fresher, but that the one drive, I think he came out for one play, and he carried the ball seven times, eight times, whatever it was. I mean, it just kept getting big chunks of yards. So I thought out of anything, and then to read his post afterwards on Twitter, you know, just, hey, it's not been the year we won. I just want to thank everybody. I mean, I just uh, – the maturity – just the the if you don't like Quay Holmes and everything he brings to the table, I'm not sure you're a Buccaneer fan, right? <laughs> but I've never seen anybody say anything bad about Quay Holmes. I mean, it's just it's fun to watch him go, and the fact we get two more years with him. Yeah, I mean that's the big positive I think because a lot of what Coach Sanders talked about post game, we're going to hear from him in one second, was the freshmen have done a great job. Uh, I know that Billy Taylor in our conversation with him before pregame Saturday talked with you about how this is going to benefit the team with the freshmen what they've been able to do benefit the team for years to come obviously if you look at things on paper yes this has not been the year that ETSU has wanted but with things coming full circle right probably outperforming what you maybe would be expected to get win loss wise last year and then maybe underperforming win loss wise compared to how you played I think this team could very easily be three and four four and three maybe even better than that depending on how the one score games go but regardless of these two years and how they've ended up kind of splitting the difference I I think this third and fourth year are going to be so important in determining the path of this program and so to be able to get these freshmen the time that you have has been big in order to make sure that you do have bodies that are capable and ready when the guys like um, you look at seniors and this year player, you know, and, and the, the guys that carry the load on either side of the ball. The defensive line is going to be a, kind of a reload next year. Um, you look at the quarterback positions kind of up in the air again. We'll talk with Coach Sanders about that here in a second. But there's going to be a lot of guys that are gone. Ben Blackman, the center on the offensive line, he's, you know, a captain. And you know, Art Smith in the secondary, that's going to be a big loss. So there's a lot of holes that this team's going to have to fill. And so it's comforting to know at least that, Maybe it's not in ways that ETSU would have liked to have these young players step in, right? You'd love to be four and two, five and two, you know, five and three, whatever the case may be. Uh, if we're looking realistically at the win loss and say, okay, now we're getting young guys in because they're competing for a conference championship. Maybe that's not the case, but they're still getting those game reps. And having been a collegiate athlete myself, I can tell you that those game reps are so valuable. Now, they never helped me because I was just never very good at sports in the first place. But for players that are going to be out there, it's just different when the lights are on. Practice doesn't do justice to how it is when you're out there because there's nerves, because things are moving faster, et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, point being, let's hear from Coach Sanders. The first play of the overtime, we went to a play that had been very successful for us uh, earlier in the game. And uh, I, what we do? lost a yard, I think, something like that, you know, where it had consistently been gaining you know, four to ten yards. And once we had the second 11, went to a play, 
had a guy we thought was open, quarterback got to his first guy, didn't like it, and never got to anybody else, just tucked it and run. Where I, I, th- I thought the second guy was uh, was easily open, probably for a first down or at least going to get us the third and short. But, you know, sometimes those things happen with freshman quarterbacks. I, I thought he did a nice job out there. I thought he competed. I thought he battled. But was he perfect? No. And then, uh, obviously, when you get to third and 10 or third and 11, whatever it was, uh, makes it a little tougher. You know, you, you got to give Western credit. They had a nice plan. They um, they were they were determined to make somebody catch the ball other than uh, uh, Will Huzzy and Nate Atkins. They they were pretty much determined to do that, and, and unfortunately, we weren't able to do a good enough job of making plays with the other receivers, getting them open, and, and giving them an opportunity to get things done. Max had a couple of good catches for us, but. Uh, we got to get more production from some other guys, no question. Anthony Spagnoletti, six catches, 78 yards. The rest of the team, six catches for 11 yards. Will Huzzy shut out. Nate Adkins, one catch for six yards. Boy, and they pressed and double-covered Huzzy, too. Uh, there was a man-to-man press. He's had a safety over the top. And I wish Matt Wilgham was probably on this just to give you a better breakdown of what they were doing, bracket coverage uh, at times, uh, if it wasn't pure man-to-man. So they really pressed uh, Huzzy, tried to take him out. I thought they did a good job with the linebackers, really sometimes not going for any fake, just saying, hey, you've got Adkins. Wherever he goes, you go. And so they did do a nice job of that. We probably didn't do a, a good job of talking about that on the broadcast during it, even though it was noticeable. We talked about the press covers a little bit, but we really didn't talk about Adkins, so it was good to see that. And, and you look at the catches, too couple of checkdowns to Quay Holmes, two design passes to Malik McGue on a glorified sweep, and then basically your screen pass to Keith Coffey. You know, other than that, you know, Spagnoletti had – and Spagnoletti got a couple of uh, bubble screens as well, but there wasn't a whole lot of passes down the field. The one catch that Spagnoletti did make down the field, one he got interfered with and, and was getting knocked down, and then to play the carom – off the defender to make that 44-yard grab was the second consecutive week. He's made a tremendous play and got the Bucks in scoring position, which led to the touchdown, non-touchdown, which I don't think there's enough time in the day for me to get in on that conversation. But uh, needless to say, the, the passing game, again, struggled. But it was also hard to argue because you're you're, you're pounding the rock, right? And, and if they did get a couple of negative plays, it was difficult on third and 10 to, to make some rushes. But – you know, when Quay Holmes was what he was doing in the second half, I mean, all honestly, the pass was an afterthought until you got to third and ten, and you're like, oh, you know, what do we do? Sanders postgame, we won't hear this bite, but on the effort from Holmes, he's a stallion. Talk about guys who want to build this program and culture around. That's him. Shows up to work, does his job, never selfish, never complains, just keeps going. And I think that the comment you made about Quay and our experiences with him separately and even you know together when we're in the press conference, things like that, it's 100% spot on. And if you can have 53 Quay Holmes or 111, 112 Quay Holmes, that would be fantastic. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of programs where you have that. There's not a lot of guys like Quay Holmes out there. So obviously with what he was able to do on the field, but leading by example and showing off the field as well that he is an upstanding quality individual doing all the right things in that way too is really big I think as well to lead for some of those young players that are having to get in there more some of which are at quarterback and Tyler Rydell. I thought Tyler did a nice job uh was he perfect no did he make some freshman mistakes yes and and it, but it was good to see him get out there and just compete um it, it wasn't a matter of demoting Trey anything else it, you know I plan on playing Tyler going into the game Tyler kind of got in there give us a little spark uh, I kind of like the way the team responded to him to be honest with you so that's, that's part of the reason I went with him as much as I did there in the second half the stats for both quarterbacks Trey Mitchell goes four of eight 30 yards Tyler Rydell eight of 14 59 yards just 89 combined yards passing and what we talked about again success on the ground for ETSU the other side of the coin was it was going to be tough to throw the ball because Western Carolina does have some experience back there they were third in the league in pass defense coming into the game yeah I thought Rydell really did a little bit of spark just and he did it with his legs I mean even though and Mitchell but he had a touchdown run it was callback but just to see how electric he was when getting out of the pocket. Now, freshman mistakes, we go over a few things. One, he got out of the pocket and didn't take care of the football and, and coughed it up. There was another one I thought, and, and Coach may have mentioned it, not in that bite, but in a different bite. I think the, the second down play in overtime, the first read wasn't there. Instead of kind of working through the progression, he thought, well, I'm going to tuck and run. Problem is, 
it is in high school, right? The design runs he did, and mobility is set up for that to happen. In college, you know, it's, it's a little bit more field. Now, I thought there were times this year where Trey Mitchell, everyone was covered up, and he went through three, four progressions, and then Trey's game isn't to run. That's where Rydell can be a little bit like Adams, and a poor man's Tyree Adams, let's be honest. There's not another person I've seen in the league that could be Tyree excuse me Tyree Adams but if the two three progressions are taken away then nobody's going to be in front of you and you should be able to take off and run if he would have looked the second progression would have been there and then uh, again I'm splitting hairs here but second progression would have been there you know he makes that throw but he would know if the second progression's there then somebody's going to cover me up if I run second progression's covered up third progression maybe fourth now now there's not enough people to, to get me if I use my legs but I think he showed you know what he could be, you know, as a freshman. You know, there's a big learning curve. It's coming in, and, you know, there's a lot of things. Randy Sanders has a lot of checks. A lot. It's not necessary. You've heard him say it plenty of times. It's not just getting the play called, saying hut, handing it off, or going through all the other reads, right? You've got to get the protection set. You have to check out of stuff. You've got to be able to do certain things um, and do that on the fly. And as a freshman, sometimes it's hard to pick that up, but – you know, Rydell might not have had the most electric arm on the team, but he's right up there with one of the best arms, and I would argue he's probably one of the best runners on the team. And certainly he's good at ad-libbing, and that's something that, you know, Austin Herrick wasn't the greatest ad-libber, but he could ad-lib enough. I think Rydell could ad-lib better than Austin Herrick once he gets it all going. The problem is the ad-lib should be your, your third option, you know, not uh, or maybe even your fourth option, especially on a pass play as opposed to, to the second option. Well, it's not just a freshman struggling with this offense. I mean, Austin Herrick's told me off air plenty of times how difficult it was for him to pick up the offense and installing more and more plays every week and just a ton to remember, especially coming from a coaching staff prior to Randy Sanders that didn't do as much of that. Um, and so with him having trouble with that, and he even talked about it uh, on air with us last Friday about how so many times when watching the film back from the Western Carolina game, because he couldn't digest everything that was happening with the plays and because there just wasn't as good of a comprehension and grasp on everything he needed to know on what was going on in the field on the pass plays as there needed to be, he took, that's why he took off and ran a lot. He, and watching the film, he, uh, he was joking with us that he had to hear a lot from Coach Sanders. Oh, well, you could have found this guy or this guy, but you took off and ran. This guy, this guy could have took. So it's very evident and present in his mind, and it's not just someone that is new to the college scene in Tyler Idell and Trey Mitchell. It's someone that had, what, 40 games of experience at the quarterback position in college. Yeah, I think uh, it, it, that's exactly right. And he, he's and I've asked him, too, about the checks and stuff. And he's like, you know, hey, there's there's a lot, like, you know, with protection and other stuff to the line, to the backs, to the this. And if you get a certain front, I've got to check to a different play. You know, sometimes coach will send two plays in, sometimes he doesn't. So i got to remember what the right check is to there. Then you got to hope everybody else does. So there's a lot to, to move around a little bit. So – uh, I, I think Rydell – I mean, I, I asked – it was last week. I said, Coach Rader, well, how many plays are in the book? He's like, oh, you know, it's 138. And I'm thinking, well, that's not that bad. And then he went, that's the base. You know, we have variations, uh, <laughs> two or three of each play. So, you know, like 600. I'm like, oh, 600. He goes, now, again, not all those are installed every week. And, you know, it's that's why you have a game plan of 70 or 80 plays, you know, each week, not 600 plays. But in the same token – in reality, when you start the week, you're supposed to know the gist of the base play, you know, 138 of them. And then here's the play. And it was just interesting to show me that. And some of the base plays are the same plays in different formations, but it changes keys and blocks. And so, again, it's still not as easy as knowing, hey, we're going to toss sweep this way. Well, if you toss sweep in an odd formation, you've got this. But if you toss sweep in a one tight end, it's this. If you have a bunch set, it's this, and it's all three different. So, again, it's not as simple as just knowing a set play. It's very, it's very much – um, way more complex. And not that Michael Kane's offense wasn't complex. I think he just didn't open it up to, to make it right. as complex. And I think Coach Sanders has always gone with, their, if they drown from a fire hose, so be it. We're going to figure it out in the long run. And that's where I think this year it would have been nice, I think, to have a little bit more of the Michael Kane philosophy of let's simplify. Because what's working right now is not the things that we either need to be working, they're not working as well as they need to be working. Like, if, if everything is not being 
taken in as much as it needs to. And but the really honestly, the thing is, you know, can I, can, can I be crazy Buck fan? Sure. Because crazy Buck fan is screaming right now at the podcast and going, which one of the seven plays they don't know? Because I've heard that a lot. Wow, you see the same. And and my guess is is that they they're running similar plays or just doing it out of different sets. I I I, th- I think early in the season it was way more complex. I think he has tried to shorten it up. Yeah. But the problem is I think he can't. Like I think was, well, and, and the truth is if you only run so many plays, I, I I think I brought again, you were I don't know how much of you the broadcast you actually heard, but there was a play it worked. They ran two plays that worked very well in the first quarter that they set on and didn't run again in the third quarter, and both those plays got blasted. And it was like, well, that's why, you know, I think thinking Matt may have said it, like this is why you can't run the same play over. Like a lot of times a fan sure. will say Man, that play worked well. Why don't you ever run it again? Well, because sometimes people see, like, you can only run some of those plays. Now, if you go I-formation power and you're running it down the throat, sure, they're going to go I-formation power down the throat. But sometimes when you run a certain play action or, like, that little screen to McGee that worked early in the first, second half was blown up. There was a couple things. That, so there is some things that you, you can't do over and over again. But there are times where you can. Uh, you know, like West Carolina shovel pass. They broke it out twice, once for a touchdown and – wants to get a, a first and goal to two in overtime, and it was beautifully executed. And now it didn't go for 25, 30 yards. Bucks were there quicker, so it still worked, but it certainly didn't work to the what it did the first time. No, and so, I, I mean, recently, you know, I, I do think he's gotten better about it, Coach Sanders, and that offensive scheme and oh, I agree. play design and such. But I, I do wonder, and I think back to the plays – that ETSU and changing their season and what could have gone differently and maybe it's not so much even the the plays themselves but it is just the I hate to return to the same point we always make but the matter of inches you know the throw behind was it Will Huzzy uh, at Sanford on the opening drive Mm -hmm. matter inches what day Uh, the drop snap so then my counterpoint to myself (laughs) right is well shouldn't we have had a simpler offense coming in with a couple of quarterbacks and, of course, Chance Thrasher, he had to adjust on the fly because he was a starting quarterback coming in. And you imagine with all his experience at the college level that you'd be able to give him a lot of different things and he'd be able to adjust and react. And then he's hurt, and so then what do you do with you don't know what you have in Trey Mitchell? And so those next couple of weeks are kind of, well, feeling out process. What can we do? What can't we do? And then by the time you get into week four and five, you're trying to slim things down, but you're kind of caught in between because you don't know if you're going to stick with Trey Mitchell or you're going to go somewhere else. So in defense then of Coach Sanders and this offense, it's, there's been a lot of moving parts, and a lot of the mistakes have been maybe more physical than mental. So five quarterbacks have taken a snap, I think. Right. Thrasher took a snap. Uh, clearly Trey Mitchell. Malika McGee's taking a snap. Cam Lewis took a snap. Right, even scored touchdown as a quarterback, uh, four or five touchdowns right. as a quarterback, and then you look at oh yeah, well, the one touchdown, right but yeah, five is the number of quarterbacks is what I was saying. Yeah, he oh, threw oh yeah, one touchdown. Yeah, he threw he threw one touchdown, yep. but he also ran as a quarterback for yep. a couple of touchdowns. Yep. So five quarterbacks, and that didn't include that Weldon might have been the starter when you <laughs> right. go. So I mean, when you look at that and you're going, okay, so in true quarterbacks, Rodell was your fifth option to start the year, right? If I mean, I think my math is correct there. If Weldon would have been battling Thrasher, they were clearly one two. Mitchell, Lewis three four, and then Rodell five. Yeah, is that and fair? I don't know. well, yeah, I'm not sure how much Cam Lewis was a quote unquote true quarterback option. Now he was so enticing that you wanted to get him on the field in any way you could. I don't know if he was necessarily well, at a true least quarterback at least option. in like fall practice when when you're when you're going through whatever, and then when he wasn't going to get the job, I think they encouraged him. But he was taking snaps. Yeah, that's fair. I, and, no, no, I think you're right. And, and, and I don't know. Maybe I'm just no, a, no, th- maybe I'm just the apologist over no, here. But I'm think, just thinking think in reality to, to go back with the offense, it's tough to to do whatever. Now all these meaningful snaps. I mean, there were a lot of guys that got to get in the game. That I thought you know uh, I've talked a lot about Big Fred Norman Jr. Uh, he ended up playing some right tackle. Looked good at right tackle. So for next year, stepping in there, I think that moves Tremont Shorts back to a guard. I think that he makes the right side of the line way better you know obviously get a new center all that but you look at that uh, uh, jay frierson gonna play you saw rydell play gosh i'm uh there was a special teams tackle that was uh um made that just uh, eluded me i'm gonna have to look up his name real quick because it was unbelievable a true freshman i don't even see any of these uh, because he had to wear a different number what he normally wears but uh he came in i, I cannot believe I, because i was trying to remember his name coming into today 
But a guy got an opportunity to play special teams, came in, shed two blocks, and then chopped down the return man and flipped him up. So, I mean, just an unbelievable hit for a true freshman coming in. My last two points on this, and then we'll move on to basketball because I think we plan on talking about ETSU football for about 10 minutes. And, and we're like, like 35 20 right now. Sure. <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. But uh, – much like you hear that I just did, you kind of talk yourself in circles when it comes to this year, right? And, and that's just a microchasm, I think, of how it's gone for ETSU football. You can talk about all these different storylines and ways things could have gone and look at how things unfolded from six or seven different lenses, and it always does come back to whether you wanted a slimmer offense for guys to be able to figure it out and do six or seven things early, whether things have worked out offensively how you've wanted because you do or don't have the personnel that you thought you would, whether you've gotten the bounces, haven't gotten the bounces, whether you like Tyler Idell, you like Trey Mitchell, you agree with coaches play calling, don't agree with coaches play calling, whatever the case may be, it comes down to a matter of a couple of plays here and there every game. And somehow they haven't gone ETSU's way every game, but it's not really a somehow thing because somehow last year they went ETSU's way every single game. I was disappointed this week because I got the game plan that I wanted. I want Quay Holmes to touch the ball 35 times. I said that at the beginning of the year, especially with the quarterback situation and what it was and the receivers outside that have been inconsistent. You heard Coach Sanders say it, just inconsistency. you got to have more guys aside from Anthony Spagnoletti, 6 for 78. Will Huzzy, 7 for 143. There's got to be a second guy to help out if the game plan does take away your top two options, as it did from Western Carolina with Will Huzzy and Nate Atkins being effectively removed from the game. I got Quay Holmes for 36, 166, and two scores, and it didn't work. It just didn't work. It, the offense wasn't explosive. It put up 20 points. That includes overtime, and I was very surprised about that. Well, I, I, again, I think there was just a little bit stagnant there, a little bit in the first quarter, as it always seems to be. Um, and then I think momentum, when the touchdown got called back, and then let's give Tyler Keltner not on him. Snap was not great. Trey Mitchell tried to handle it, get it down, and the, the field goal got blocked. And, again, we didn't mention Keltner, but Keltner, what an unbelievable – Fantastic. You know, 42, 43-yarder in overtime, ice in his veins. I mean, he, he – gosh, how great is he going to be a couple more years? Eric Campbell just came to me. Eric Campbell was the kid that made the tackle. I want to give a lot of credit to a freshman defensive back on special teams and, and looks good. But uh, I, I think there were just some momentum things that went. And, um, again, just the way the year's gone. A couple plays here. What if that touchdown counted? It didn't. What if the field goal goes in, right? I mean, maybe there's no overtime. Yada, yada, yada. You can go down the list. Same token, I'm sure other teams last year are doing the same thing. My goodness, what if this happened? We beat ETSU. What about that? So, the best point you made was 6-1 and one last year, 1-6 and six this year. So, All right, that'll do it for football. That was way longer than we wanted to get into. we got to get to basketball right after this time. Out to your a word from Santa's Sidekick on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks but we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Bright Ridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge, new name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. Santos and a sidekick back with you. We talk a little hoops now. Men's basketball is ETSU 92-75 over UT Martin. Mike Gallagher was on the call. I got a chance to listen in, but since you uh, were there live, I'll defer to you first and give my comments after that. Well, I wasn't really sure how this game was going to go. Uh, Evan dove into UT Martin pretty deep on the ride out there and then seeing the team coming out in warm-ups and talking to a few people about what to expect and just looking, Coach uh, Forbes said this, in the pregame when we were talking about the layout and the makeup and the personnel that UT Martin does have this year, it's just a completely different team than it was last year when the Bucs won by 18. But, gosh, you got almost the exact same result, and you got it in almost the exact same way. It was incredible to me. You're down three at the half this year. It was 42-39. to 39. ETSU last year was down 38-33, to 33, and then you just explode out of the locker room despite UT Martin having – five guys back from last year they're two big studs that they're expecting things from this year outside of Quentin Dub because Dub is a heck of a player I mean he goes he goes at seven footers at six foot eight 
like he's seven foot eight. I mean, he doesn't care. He has no fear inside, and he had a big game. But ETS, you did, you, you did such a good job of taking away what Martin wanted to do with their perimeter scores. I mean, Parker Stewart, Anthony Stewart's son, the head coach in his fourth season for the Skyhawks, two of nine and one of seven from outside. Craig Randall II, I see what they like about him, but he took some really bad shots, really bad shots. Went seven to 24 from outside, or I should say from the floor, and two of nine from outside. 17 points, but to take 24 shots to get there is not efficient. Uh, it's not what you need in order to really pull an upset, I think you would say. Projected fifth in the OVC this year were the Skyhawks. So if you add that up, nine of 33 combined from the floor for their two big guards. And offensively, especially early on, I really liked what ETSU did with Jerome Rodriguez and Lucas Goussaint. They got going in that first half in the first five or ten minutes, ended up going 10 of 13 from the floor, 18 points and 18 rebounds. And that was a brilliant game plan by Steve Forbes and company because the Skyhawks were without Jordan Pierce, who's 7 feet 290, and then Hannes Pola, who's 6'11", 270. They were also missing Steve Wooten Jr., who started the first game that UT Martin played against the St. Louis College of Pharmacy. Then no Trenton Williams and no Ajani Kennedy, I should say. They had 10 healthy bodies. ETSU knew that they were at a... Uh, big advantage inside in terms of not only height because they did have Eric Rust and UT Martin, but he's seven one, one eighty five. He's not going to possess a lot of um, resistance to stop guys like Jerome Rodriguez, who's a really good attacker of the basket and really uh, torrid rebounder, and Lucas Goussaint, who's got just forty five pounds on him. There's just not going to be a way to stop those two guys for Eric Rustin and Isaac Aguiar, six ten, two twenty. He barely played. So you knew you were going to have the advantage inside. You got the efficiency. You got the rebounding edge. Ended up being, I think, plus 13 on the glass. After last year, you were plus 16. So it was incredible to me. The way the game unfolded, the statistical similarities between last year and this year, at the end of the day, a big win for ETSU. I think this UT Martin team is going to be a lot better than they are right now at some point in the year. And then assistant coach Brooke Savage said the same to me. I completely agree with them. But that's not right now. And ETSU took advantage in that second half and just blew the doors off Skyhawk Arena. I think there's a lot of things that you know you've had to sit and listen to me a lot. The couple things I look at, turnovers, how many points off turnovers. If you have more points off turnovers than forced turnovers, so you, they forced 15 turnovers, had 19. So if you average a point of turnover, that's pretty good. You get over that, which the Bucks did, 19 to 15. The other thing is offensive rebounds. Do you have more points off second chance? And you do that, 12 offensive rebounds, 21 points. And the last thing that stood out, uh, at me that I went to go look at immediately. 21 of 24 from two feet and in. Yep. Layups and, and dunks. Yep. And that is a problem. It has always been a problem. And I'm glad ETSU shot 50% from three. That's going to come and go. Patrick Good, which we'll talk about in a second, lost his mind. I'm fine with that. That's an area that ETSU's really struggled out. Now, some of those, I'm sure, again, you were there, coming off second chance opportunities. So maybe, you know, you just work hard to get it. But work hard to get in position for an offensive rebound. Didn't get an easy layup. I'm sure they weren't all 21 points on just second-chance layups. They probably did something else. But for the most part, to me, that was the biggest stat and where ETSU's been about so far first two games, well, exhibition, first real game, were like 50% on layups. Well, if you get 21 and 24 and you're better at math than me, that's, you know, high 80s, I would assume. 88%, yep. So, you know, high 80s right there. So you're sitting there looking at that. To me, you live in that area, you're going to win a lot of games. If you can at 88% your layup, hey, if you have 24 layup or dunk attempts a game my goodness that's a tremendous number but number two if you're 88 percent from there you're going to win many games i mean it's hard for me to believe you would lose games if you shot that high we know bo hodges can do a little bit of everything and the stat sheet said that 15 points six rebounds five assists three blocks and two steals i was impressed with his passing and the passing of trey boyd Uh, in the first half there were a couple of beautiful driving dishes to jeromey rodriguez and lucas goussaint a couple of dunks for them um and very easy putaways because Trey Boyd drew some attention. I don't think that a lot of people, just looking unbiasedly, are going to watch film on Trey Boyd and say, boy, that guy can pass. He's going to look to drive and lay it off to a teammate. But he showed that he can do that. He's going to be, yes, largely a threat from the outside, right? Loves to shoot the three. The majority, big majority of his shots are going to come from out there. Uh, But he did an excellent job facilitating in that first half. And speaking of facilitating, you talk about Isaiah Tisdale. He's not going to be someone that draws a lot of attention out of this game statistically, but you look at one big stat and he led all scores, all players for either team in plus minus plus 27 when he was on the court with the Bucks winning by 17. And he only had six points 
on two or three from the field, four assists. But that speaks to how he affects the game on both ends. And we've talked about it, I think, almost ad nauseum. And it's hard to talk about something ad nauseum this early in the season, but we still have. Isaiah Tisdale wants to be the best defender on the team. He made a couple of nice defensive plays again. And ETSU really all over the floor, especially in the second half, were the better team. There were too many turnovers in that first half. And you could see Steve Forbes very agitated on the bench. 11 turnovers, wasn't happy with the refs, wasn't happy with his team. And we'll hear in a second from Coach Forbes, he's still not necessarily happy with the team. But the adjustments made at the second half much resembled last year. And Coach Forbes has shown he's a mastermind of that. I, I think the, the big thing is a lot of people heard some quotes earlier. They heard from Tisdale, they've heard from Hodges already. You know, we've talked to Trey Boyd a little bit. Um, and, and not on air, but and they all talk about well, we don't care, it's team. Well, when you start to see Boyd, who had had you know close to twenty the first game, well exhibition game, he had twenty in the first game, you know, but he only goes for eight, and he has his assist you're talking about, and he's over there high fiving everybody, right? And that's a whole different thing. It's showing you that everyone is buying into, hey, we just want to win, and to me, that's a dangerous team because they have so many weapons. You know, there's a day where we've already seen it. Trey Boyd's going to go for twenty. Well, guess what? There's a day Patrick Good's going to go for 20. already happened. We've seen Tisdale's exhibition game, but he can go for 20. Yeah, Tisdale. Rodriguez has a 20. Six, right, yeah. exactly. I mean, all these guys can have whatever. So, it, just the buy-in in general for them. Bo Hodges yet to go for 20, but you know he will. So, I, I like that about the team so far. Yeah, I mean, there's no question that six or seven guys can score 20 in a given night. Maybe not 20 points per game because that's just not how this team is built, but unselfishness is the reason for that. You know, if somebody wanted to drop 20 a night, I bet there are four or five guys in this team that could go for 20 a night if that's how the game plan and team was laid out. It's not. And so we'll see a good, a Tisdale, or Rodriguez, a Williamson, uh, a Goussaint perhaps even, a Rodriguez. You know, it, the list goes on and on. I think this team that we play tonight is a good team. I think, um, do I think they're going to win the OBC? I, I don't know their league that well. Probably not. But I think they'll be one of the better teams, you know, in their league. They're going to be hard to play here. Their athleticism gave us some problems. They um, they went to the offensive glass really hard at 16 offensive rebounds. At some point, at one point in the game, their best offense was to miss and go get it. But we ended up beating them plus 13 on the glass. Yeah, really chuck it from outside and then just run and get the rebound. It did seem like for a little bit of time the Skyhawks wanted to do. The OBC last year, really the big mid-major league postseason-wise, along with the SoCon, one of just eight conferences in the country was the OVC to win multiple tournament games as Belmont won their playing against Temple and Murray State won their 12-5 against Marquette. Of course, the SoCon Wofford beat Seton Hall and then Fletcher McGee went full Mike Gallagher on it during the ETSU women's basketball on the spot <laughs> videos and went 0 for 12 from three. I went 0 for 12 against He at least looked good player. doing it, right? Well, yeah, that's a good point. I, I didn't look so much uh, the same as Fletcher McGee. Maybe a few similarities between me and Fletcher, but the jump shot is not one of them. So this is a very good OVC. Uh, and John Morant's not in it anymore, and we get it. It's been The schedule for UT Martin is going to be tough early on. They've got Wichita State and Northern Iowa coming up, a couple kind of, I'd say, perennial contenders in a very very good league yeah and Wichita State is really not even a mid-major anymore I don't know if you'd still count them as that but Northern Iowa certainly is so a couple of very good teams are like the founders of the mid-major movement essentially so it's going to be rough for them early but again this is going to look like a better win I think later in the year than it looks like right now I agree I, I think Martin has enough pieces to score again you've mentioned it Murray State's has to take a step back using John Morant how will Belmont be losing their head coach, Rick Bird, for a long time. And I love Casey Alexander who comes over. He was at Belmont, went to Lipscomb, now back at Belmont. So I don't think they'll miss a lot there. Um, there's a couple of teams in there that, that were teetering on kind of taking a step forward. So we'll just have to see how it plays out. It still probably starts with those two. But to me, those two are beatable. And UT Martin has enough scoring punch to be in about every game this season. 62% from the floor for ETSU, 10th time under Steve Forbes that they've done that. Still got a long ways to go. Um, I don't think I don't think we're a great team right now. I mean, 19 turnovers on 20 assists is not acceptable. I'm not getting great point guard play right now in that in that regard. So despite going 62 He's a coach, right? He's a coach. That's all, that's all I read in that. Well, I got to come out here and say something negative. Oh, we we're not good. So, somebody didn't shoot good, surely. Okay, those two didn't. I'll pick on them. Like, that's what it felt like. The 10th time, 60-plus percent from the floor, and still Coach Forbes not happy. 10 of 20 from outside. Sharp shooting, of course, Patrick Good, as we mentioned. And I asked him post-game, do you know when a night like this is coming? Because he had the 11 threes against Western Carolina last year and has the seven this year, and it's not one of those things you can predict. But once – 
he hit that first and then the second, you could really start to see, because these were dead center right in the middle of the cup. I mean, they were not hitting rim. Uh, it was clear right away that he was going to have a big night if they could get him the ball, and that was the big thing. He's so smart about getting into open space. Shooters have to be very good about that. That's why the Clay Thompsons of the world, and less so I think the Steph Curry's, because Clay Thompson's more of a spot-up shooter, or Steph Curry is more of a create, make the ridiculous outlandish shot, but say a Clay Thompson, I think he dropped, what, 63 that one game, and he took, what, 11 dribbles or something like that? Patrick Good is very similar in the fact that he knows where the holes will be in transition, especially finds himself in a little bit of space, and gets open looks for himself and he knocks them down and honestly there weren't a lot of contested threes of those seven a lot of them were very open and that's credit to him and his teammates hey, unless he's in transition dribbling up the court the about the most you'll see good do is maybe a pump fake and a side dribble to get free but for the most part uh, and he has a nice little game shooting a three in transition he's about the only player on the team i think that's comfortable doing that and uh but other than that you're right i mean he, he's going to come off a screen catch and shoot ready to go if he dribbles, it's a side dribble just to get himself a little bit more space. It, again, not particularly uh, a large guy right at, you know, 5'11 or whatever they list him at, um, six foot five eleven, And so to, to do that in certain games, he's got to be able just to, to move just a, a touch to the left or the right laterally a little bit. But uh, it's fun to see when he's on, though. I mean, when he's on, I mean, you just know it's going to go. I mean, that West Carolina game. I mean, the first couple were true net, and then you're like, okay, here he goes. It's almost like, you know, first couple shots. I don't say dictates the whole game because clearly shooters can shoot themselves out of something. But if the first couple go down for him in particular, you know, I, I think you, you can just kind of sit back and enjoy the show. And I hope you have to enjoy the show at least ten more times this year. Thursday, it's Winthrop, and they've started with Hartford from the America East, who are perennially right around the top of that league, made the tournament a couple of years ago, if I remember right. Uh, Fresno State, who won 23 games last year. Tonight they have St. Mary's, who are number 20 in the country. So this is a team that's going to be battle-tested coming in. Winthrop is a very recognizable name around mid-major circles, and it's going to be a tough test Thursday. We'll break it down Wednesday. All right, we'll talk a little more men's basketball on Wednesday. We'll step aside for a timeout. Let's talk about the ETSU women's basketball team and their big win on the road at Liberty. After this timeout, your word from the Buccaneers Sports Network. Life is all about perfect pairings. Sweet and salty, naughty and nice, hot and cold. Well, add instant and jackpot to the list because that's what you'll get when you add Quick Cash to your next Tennessee Cash play. Quick Cash is a simple way to turn one game into two. With Quick Cash, you'll have a chance to win up to $500 instantly right there at the register. Plus, you'll still have a chance to win the Tennessee Cash drawing later. Get the best of both worlds and get twice the fun. It's Quick Cash with Tennessee Cash, only from the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. and a sidekick with you on this Veterans Day talking ETSU sports. We've talked football, men's basketball. We turn our attention to women's basketball and a big win on the road against Liberty. And it was interesting to, to start because, number one, uh, I had to – I was told I got to leave pretty quickly because they had a men's – You got out of there. Yeah, it was, it was one of those. And I'll say this, that building was filling up from the time the game started until the time the game ended. It was about 10,000 people in there by the time we got out of there. Whatever that thing Seriously. holds. I don't know what it holds. 9,000, I it, think. It was, it was pretty, pretty, pretty packed by the time. And now it was a big rivalry on the men's game because it was Radford, Liberty. They're not that far apart. Used to be in the same league as big rivalries. Now it's just a non-conference game. But there were that. Coach Ezell and the coaches had been told that uh, probably about half of them are getting kicked out of the coaches' locker room because that's where the men's coaches dress. Wow. And so there was some things there. Then they had – the GoPro directly behind the square, which is illegal now, so I had to be the bad guy and be like, hey, I'm pretty sure the rule set. So then I had to move, get on Latin. So there was a lot of things going on oh, early. Man. I mean, even before that. And so then the game kind of gets going, and they say, oh, by the way, uh, we don't have instant replay. Mm. And we're like, okay, well, what's wrong? Well, we How don't, at Liberty We do don't have, have a monitor. Replay. What? They didn't have a monitor. And as luck would hold it, right, Liberty's three uh, in the first quarter clearly late. I've seen several different videos. Clearly late. Couldn't review it. Then mm. in midway second quarter, apparently I got it back, but nobody said anything to the third quarter until Micah Sheets got called for one of the worst intentional fouls of all time. The referee shoots the two free throws. 
Coach Ezell's like, well, we can't replay it. And the guy's like, oh, yeah, the monitor got back mid-second quarter. So he's like, well, what was I going to know? Yeah. He's like, well, it's here. So, all right, we'll look at it. And what are we going to do? You've already shot the free throws. And he says, well, we normally shoot the free throws and go look at it. No, you don't. That, that's not a thing. Nobody in the world would let you. What happens if you hit two free throws? We're going to say, oh, no, we're just kidding after we reviewed it. No. Like, it was like, I think he felt bad because he's like, oh, yeah. Well, then you knew they were going to overturn it. But here's the thing. She missed two free throws anyway, so it, it kind of worked out in the wash. But so all that going on. What a train wreck. And ETSU fighting to play, you know, again, a little shorthand as they will be for the most of the season. Well, they might get a couple players back. We'll talk about that. But as her, it was winding down, Air Kane's over. It's in defensively. You know, she's an animal defensively, right? There was a couple times somebody blew right by her, and she had not taken a break. And Coach Ezell, I think, begrudgingly is like, I think we got to get her out of there. Right. So uh, Erica sits out for a couple of minutes. Gets back in there, and then it was just a late, probably 60 seconds worth of things that you couldn't make up with Liberty going down, you know, getting the ball stolen, stripped and stolen. Micah Sheets come down, makes a good decision not to take a shot and kind of dribble it back out. But when she dribbled it back out, there was not a sense of urgency of, hey, everyone's coming from behind. They stole the ball. Liberty gets a timeout. Then Micah Sheets takes a charge. Then they give the ball to Eric Haynes Overton, which everyone in the building is yelling, stop, Haynes Overton. She makes a ridiculous pass, gets the layup to Jackson, or uh, the pass to so Jackson hits the layup. And then, Coach, with that, you know, advance rule, I thought brilliantly sends Kimbrough in at six foot four to guard the inbounder, which which caused the – I think they had goalie throwing the ball at the time, and she's all of about five foot six seven, And so she had to try to throw over the six foot four Kimbrough – Throws a big lollipop, and then there's Eric Haynes Overton right on cue defensively to make the game-winning steal. So an outstanding end to the game and a game in which ETSU just kind of kept hanging around is what it felt like. Did it, You know, Liberty had a shot probably to put them away a couple times, but just the tenacity of ETSU's women's basketball program to stay in there to pick up that huge road win. I'll be interested to see if this trend continues the entire year, but they've now been down 10 or more under five minutes to go in both games at Tennessee wreaked havoc on the volunteers and the Lady Vols I'm sure couldn't get out of there fast enough they were happy to see the buzzer sound because if that game would have been a minute or so longer I think ETSU has a very good chance to take it and then against Liberty you're down 10 with like 455 to go and you get seven from Shania Jackson of the 17 down the stretch including that game winning layup multiple times I thought this game was over I thought there was no way that ETSU was going to find a way back and last year they had a lot of games that came down right to the end and what was great to see is that they didn't stop competing like you had the game against Tennessee that I think was more of a confidence instiller rather than a detractor simply because it was UT storied program winniest program history of college basketball etc etc and so it was a loss though you still do see the loss but I don't think that it was thought of that way amongst players and coaches I certainly didn't think about it that way you didn't think about it that way those around the program I think were offering congratulations because it was a banner night for the program in the fact that you performed so well and fought so hard against a much bigger, more talented, I don't think, you know, from 1 to 12, anyone would argue that, Tennessee versus ETSU. And you nearly knocked off, you know, it was almost David knocking off Goliath, right? Um, so that was a confidence booster, but it was still a loss. And then you come down and you're down 10 again, very similar situation. You perform the exact same, even though there are a decent amount of players on this roster that were here last year when the Bucks came out on the wrong end of a lot of those games and couldn't find a way to get that last basket. What I flashed back to was the UNC Asheville game last year, 56-55 on the road. Coach Giselle was shorthanded, didn't have a lot of healthy bodies that she could count on. Go in there and UNCA is a program that has had certainly its ups and downs, uh, pretty much across all sports, but women's basketball is the case too. And it's a game you should win. And I don't think there's any question about that. You put up 14 points in the first half. Team battles back, gets it to 56-55, had three separate chances to win the game and could not get it done. And there was, execution-wise, a couple of bad mistakes on the final possession for ETSU in that game. This time, against a program much better than UNCA, a program that historically has been an NCAA tournament uh, contender every year in terms of making it and then going into you know first round you never know so a team that's been at the top of mid-major leagues you have the alternative result you have the better result you have things flipped on their head a little bit where you get what you needed to have happen again something that 
I think is very encouraging early on, especially considering, as you said, there's a couple bodies that they may be getting back. We'll know here in a couple of days on one of them that could help because Erica Haynes-Overton right now might lead the country in minutes. And if she keeps playing 38-39 a game, it's going to get a long season pretty quick. we got to figure out a way to get her some breaks. And it, it's so difficult to take her off. I mean, it really it is. It is, no doubt. But – I agree. You have to find something. And we're not talking like load management here, right? The NBA <laughs> Not break, Kawhi, right? not LeBron. Right, right. No. We're just talking about, you know, maybe she plays 35 minutes, you know. Maybe there's a way to, to you know, with six minutes to go and a quarter, you know, or, or five and a half maybe, you know what I mean? And it doesn't have to be game time. Right. It could just be, hey, with 30 seconds to go before a media timeout, you throw her in there, hope there's a media timeout, you know, and 30 seconds later – and then you get the full two and a half minute of a media timeout, and you get three, four minutes of actual rest. You know, get that extra little bit of rest as opposed to just you're getting the media timeouts. And she's just not like other people. She's maximum effort all yeah, the, the time. The motor is going always dry. going at 100, 110, 150, whatever percent you want to say is the maximum. That's always what she's giving on both ends. So for her, playing 40 minutes is like playing 80 minutes in a day. Yeah, and, and I think because, because of the effort, right, she gets to the free throw line. She was 7 of 7 there. Uh, way better at the free throw line this contest against Liberty just like Tennessee they needed all the free throws to, to go down to be in this one they needed them all at uh, Liberty they just hit more of them 18 to 24 so I thought that was uh, encouraging and it wasn't just Eric Haynes Overton getting in line we saw some post players get to the line you know sometimes I think we see them shy away from contact I think Shania Jackson did a good job of kind of going into the contact and now again um, shot four of six uh, Lee Stafford had a couple of shots I felt bad for her because her shot looked good all day. Mm-hmm. The problem is they just didn't drop. I mean, they there was two times I know for a fact it rattled and looked like it was going down and just popped out. There was one that kind of rolled out. I mean, th- three of her six misses could have easily been makes, and then she hit two big ones when they needed it. So even though that wasn't kind of going there uh, for her, and again, being at least uh, Stafford being a, a – lack of a better term, a stretch four, right? A, a post player that can set a screen, step back, and knock down a jumper, a three. They ran a play four in the corner. Seeing Micah Sheets, which we had talked about, I thought would be a much better matchup. She was in double figures and, um, you know, two of four from three and a couple of her shots still look a little like the lift still, for whatever reason, this year is not there in the first two games. And I just thought maybe it was Tennessee, so I don't know. Maybe keep an eye um, on that and see how, the, how it's going. But you get Stafford hit a few shots and you can get Micah Sheets and then the inside play of Shania Jackson helping out. I think they they got some pieces there Definitely. that could really be well. I still think it's going to come down to rebounding and free throws uh, for the team because they're not particularly big and deep. And, again, they're going to get to the line a lot. They are very aggressive. I think they'll get free throw attempts. Are they going to be able to hit those? So, to me, keep because they were out rebounding quite a bit again uh, to Liberty, will they be able to rebound? Will they be able to hit free throws? If they can do both of those – I think they're going to have a very, very successful year. Yeah, on those stats that you mentioned, rebounding, they were out-rebounded 44-30. to 30, And you expected to be out-rebounded by Tennessee. They were minus 21. They didn't have, uh, except for Jesse Rennie, who's 5'8", another player that was under 6 feet. So you knew that was going to be an uphill battle. Liberty, again, they have some size, too, and they're a very solid mid-major, but 44-30. to 30, So the Bucks are now minus 35 in their first two games on the boards. And that's not something I imagine changing a lot, simply because they just don't have big athletic bodies they've got athletes and they've got a couple big bodies but they're not big athletic bodies they don't have the combination um 35 free throw makes for etsu to just 30 attempts for opponents that speaks to the bucks aggressiveness but they're 35 of 57 and i think that works out to about 60 percent which is largely where the team has been under coach Zell, a little tick or two above that over her time here but you would love to see that improve because if they're going to be as aggressive as they are and get those results of getting to the line, drawing a lot of fouls. You can change games just by making – I'm not saying you got to go 80%, 90%. Just making three or four more free throws per game, then all of a sudden you're against Tennessee going to overtime. And against Liberty, you're not having to scrap and claw your way back and have everything go, I think, the way it did. I don't want to say perfect, but 99% of things go exactly the way they needed to go to get this win you're not in games like that as much I'm just impressed and congratulations to Erica Haynes over 10,000 points now on her career I think she moved into 22nd overall is that right yes 22nd overall she's passed uh, Gwen Washington uh, uh, for 22nd she'll pass Amy Engel if not this game the next game pretty quickly so she's going to climb the ladder 
pretty quick, and then she'll hit a low there where she'll need two or 300 points to get the next one. But uh, And Amy Engel, a lot of folks uh, remember her, played here um, for a long time. And if I'm not mistaken, I think she married John Shulman. Um, uh, anyways, long story short, she was also in the first uh, women's three-point shootout. So oh, cool. a lot, lot, of, lot of fans remember Amy Engel, local product as well. So I, I think the bad thing was it was a free throw. Because as you know, and I was, and I, I guess I knew, but I'd never paid attention. You give Eric Haynes Overton the ball; she catches and shoots. There's yep. no dribble, there's no spin, there's no routine. She goes that, quick. That people take like seven, eight seconds. We all know. I mean, you threw, and by the time I was trying to do, a, I couldn't even do a build up, a build a score, a thousand right. points, and then she already hit the next one before I even got that out. Right. So I've kind of felt bad that the the, and we were sitting on it, we were waiting on it. I even had. Uh, David Fox and Matt Bush, both sports information directors. I was like, hey, guys, just in case you get going in the game here and you think I'm forgetting, you know, as she hits a shot, you know, and they're both tagging me on the arm like, hey, don't forget, don't forget. But I was already in the call. But, I mean, just I just feel bad about that. But that's her game. That's her style. You know, just that's just how it is. There was no buildup. So I felt bad that the call wasn't great. But uh, I'm sure she'll take the ending over the call every day. Well, and I think she, at this point, is someone that will threaten 2,000. So we might get a chance again. You know, she's second game of her junior year. You look at pace-wise, she'll fall just short, but she's also top five in the nation right now in points per game. Now, we're two games in, right? So I'm not going to go bandying that stat about ridiculously until we're five or six games in if she does stay up there. But with how much is going to be expected of her this year and her usage rate, it's going to be very high. Uh, And I've just been impressed with her stamina. Yes, we've seen her physically be just torn to shreds by the fourth quarter but these numbers are amazing you mentioned Matt Bush he did a good job putting these together eight of 12 from the field in the fourth quarter 19 points four steals in the final three minutes of games four of five from the field now the only miss was that desperation heave down four against Tennessee so take that one out and she's creating for others as well you saw the big play to Shania Jackson so when the Bucks need her at her best despite playing 38 and 39 minutes in the opener and then against Liberty on Friday. She is still giving them what they need, the mark of a true superstar. And I'm just excited to see how this year unfolds for her. And if we, you can have Shania Jackson put up that kind of effort, at least Stafford looks much improved. Micah Sheets still coming along. She's going to get better and better, I think, as the year goes along. Then you got Kaya Upton. You can get Micaiah Dowdell, that waiver that we're going to find out about on Wednesday. This team is going to be very formidable. Yeah, I think uh, it's, it's built. They took some lumps last year. Uh, some key players back on this year's team, I think they've learned. That's the best thing, right? They've been in those situations. They've been able to learn how to pick up or at least make games tight, and they certainly have the fight. It doesn't matter what score is. It seems like they're going to fight till uh, till the end to give themselves a shot, and that's always a mark of a good basketball team in my mind. All right, bold predictions. I don't even want to do it, but we got to do it after this timeout. Here, we're from Sidekick on the Bucket Air Sports Network. ETSU fans, there is no more entertaining way to spend your Wednesday nights than with the human soundbite reel, Randy Sanders. It's big boy football. The Buccaneer head coach joins Jay Sandos live at Wild Wing Cafe every Wednesday night at 6 p.m. And if you can't make it to downtown Johnson City to have chicken wings and tater tots with coach, you can listen right here on AM640. All fall long, ETSU head football coach Randy Sanders, Wednesday nights. What time is it anyway? 6 p.m. on the Sports Monster. Everyone in the stadium and across the NFL world is aware that quarterback Andrew Luck decided to retire. Antonio Brown ditches practice again after another issue with his helmet. There is a code that has been broken here with Antonio Brown. He's just not a good human. But unless you've been living under a rock, you guys all know that the AAF is folded. Wide receiver Josh Gordon has been reinstated and is now eligible to return to New England. The great Bill Belichick keeps giving Gordon chances. Tennessee head coach Rick Barnes told reporters flat out, if UCLA had paid his buyout, he probably would be at UCLA now instead of at Tennessee. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. A simple wrong would have done just fine. All right. I, uh, I'll just lead off. My bold prediction was ETSU went undefeated on the weekend. It did not. Uh, it actually ended on the first game. I thought for sure. I was e- shocked. I was that. too. And we watched it on the van ride up to Liberty for women's basketball. But I, I swore ETSU was going to 
win all the games this weekend, and ETSU men's uh, uh, soccer did drop 2 nothing to Belmont, fell one nothing pretty early, 15th minute, I think, and then um, uh, then a penalty kick late when, you know, at that point it didn't look good anyways, but 2 nothing loss there. And then, of course, football in overtime with a loss. But volleyball did pick up two wins, yep. and we've recapped both basketball wins. But I had rolled everything into a little parlay there and uh, came up four and two is good, but not good enough. Not good enough. Uh, I had a prediction correct, but it's disqualified because apparently Allen University is as bad as you thought they were going into the game. NAIA team playing shorter at University, who, of course, earlier this year, one of the Bucks two wins this year on the gridiron. I think it was 48-10 to 10 or something like that. ETSU beat Shorter, who had lost 48 games in a row, one of the longest streaks in the history of NCAA football at any level, going into Saturday's game against Allen University on senior night. They do it for their seniors. At least the seniors can go out with a win. That makes me happy for them. But it was 37-7. to 7. You smartly said, and I think it is fair, that if it was too big of a win, it was an odd stipulation, odd qualifier, but it ended up being right for uh, a number of reasons and good for you, that if they won by 20 points or more, that being shorter, that would show that it wasn't bold because it was just a mismatch. It's a lower division. And even the worst Division II team in the country is better than Allen University by a significant margin, which ended up being the case, 37-7. The streak is dead for shorter in terms of consecutive games lost. My streak of bad bold predictions just beginning, I imagine. You got two more bad ones, too. Yeah, 350-plus yards rushing between Minnesota and Dallas, 203. Zeke couldn't get anything going all night for Dallas. Minnesota's defensive line did a really good job, and the Vikings won. Very happy about that, but not happy about my bold prediction. Four sacks for ETSU. Hey, there were zero. But are you happy about the Gophers? I am. Why did I not predict that? I, I don't know. Because I'm a Minnesota fan, and we always are let down. We always see failure, and we've been conditioned know. to not believe that something like that is possible. Even on the last drive, it was 31-19. to 19. I texted one buddy. I was like... I think they're going to do it. And then the comeback was on. Right as I hit send, Penn State got the ball back, drove down the field, got the ball back again, drove down the field. And if I forget who the receiver was, the caught the ball to like 50 yards. But if he just had a hair more on the burners, it would have been Penn State over Minnesota as it was the Gophers. Probably their biggest win in like 115 years. Last time they started and, 9-0, 1904. And, and you immediately went outside and started rowing the boat, didn't you? Uh, I rowed the boat right through the cornfields of Martin, Tennessee. That was beautiful. All right, that'll do it for this show. Wednesday, we're going to talk a lot of ETSU basketball. We'll have comments from Randy Sanders from the press conference. We'll also talk to one of my favorites, Rick Cameron. Mercer play-by-play, man. And hopefully I get him to say the word sketchy. Because I just love it. Sketchy. Santa's sidekick. Fuck it here. Sports Network. See ya.